0: Well, over the last few weeks, we've actually spent quite a bit of time in this passage of Scripture, and we're going to stay another week in it this week uh, in, in attempts to mine the depths so that we can emerge from the mine with something that's very practical that we can use in order to make progress down the highway of holiness. And I hope that you would notice this, but the sheer amount of time that we spent in this text should tell you that what we are seeking after is very, very important for the foundation of this book and to put it into practice in your life. When we opened up this sermon series, I gave an illustration of when I was able to drive around Mike Hornstra's 1970 Chevelle Supersport, remember? I mentioned that it was quite exhilarating. It's known as the king of muscle cars. It has like this massive engine that like sucks gas, right? But very responsive to the gas pedal The driving experience was quite a bit different than driving around and muttering around in my busted-up 2010 Sonata that's tied together with a rope, right? I brought the car to my house to show it off to my boys. And so I put the car in neutral and I revved the engine, and they were quite impressed, and I'm pretty sure the neighbors were like, what in the world is that crazy pastor guy doing, right? What I was trying to do was I was trying to show my boys how powerful the car was. It sounded great, but it wasn't moving. And it made a lot of noise, but it wasn't going anywhere. What I actually should have done is dropped the car into gear and let slowly up on the clutch and then squealed the tires and screamed out of the cul-de-sac. That would have been a way better demonstration of the car's power. Today, we are going to emerge from the mind of this text that we've been in for the last three weeks with new knowledge and new feelings And what we want to do is we want to slam what we have come to know and what we've come to feel into the transmission of our lives. And I'm hoping that we will squeal the tires a bit and demonstrate the raw power of the gospel as we run away from everything that characterized our former life. We're going to use this text like a springboard, like a diving board to launch us into a discussion on what to do when we are tempted. So I want to quickly review what we have covered. As we step onto the diving board and we approach the end of it, I want to ask ourselves the question, what do we know from this passage of Scripture we've already studied for the last three weeks? Well, we know this, that trials provide an opportunity for us to demonstrate our steadfast faith. Without these trials, we would never be able to demonstrate the tested genuineness of our belief and faith in God. So trials provide an opportunity for us to demonstrate our steadfast faith. We also know that trials are the means by which God can then assess our faith. He can look and see how we respond in times of trials and assess the quantity of our faith and the quality of our faith. We also know that God does not tempt us. James is very clear about that. But the temptation to rebel against God is something that is inherently within us Since the fall. So God never leads us into temptation or tempts us with evil. That temptation comes from inside of us because of our fallen nature. And we also know, sadly enough, that the reason why we sin is because we prefer it over God. This is a sad reality. No one ever sins out of obligation. Humans always end up doing that which they want to do, even if it's in direct opposition of what God, who is the giver of every good and perfect gift, has commanded. We suppress that and say, no, I'd rather go my own way. Look at the story. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Eve took and ate and passed on the fruit to Adam because to her it looked good, desirable, and delightful. Those are action words. Those words come with legs. They cause you to do something. If you look at something and say, that's good, it's desirable and delightful, then why not do it? And that's what Adam and Eve decided to do. And we also know the reason why we do that, which is clearly prohibited by God, is because we have been deceived into thinking that the God who gives good and perfect gifts and who is also incapable of ever changing is somehow holding out on us. I'm just going to go for it, even though you say, no, I'm going to do it, because I feel like you're holding out on us, God. And we know that our descent into depravity is a slippery slope covered in dish soap, meaning once you have the initial taste for something, your salivary glands start to salivate, prepping your whole body to be ready to digest something that you think will be delicious, but will actually lead to your demise. So James says, when desire is conceived, it will give birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, will bring forth death. And we say, yikes. That's why we don't want to play around at the top of that slippery slope. So those are some of the things that we've come to know from this text. So now we're walking to the end of the diving board, and let's take one big bounce before we jump into our discussion about temptation. We know what we know, but what do we feel? All right? Both of these things are very important before we talk about temptation. So what do we feel? What have we felt from this text over the last three weeks? Well, hopefully, everything that you've come to know has affected the way you feel. That's the way it's supposed to work. That's what knowledge is supposed to do. Knowledge that puffs us up and doesn't lead us anywhere, it doesn't do us much good. So we need to be affected to the causal core of our lives our hearts need to be enraptured with the fact that while we were yet sinners, we just sang about this, and Jesus, thank you, Christ died for us. Even when we demonstrated that we prefer other things to God, God, of His own will, He brought us forth. By the word of truth is what James 1.18 says. Of His own will He brought us forth. By the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits, of his creatures. Do you see that in chapter 1 verse 18? It's amazing. He has made us a first fruit, not based off of anything that we have done, but according to his own will we were brought forth. That means that we were born again by the authoritative word of the truth, which is the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners In Christ, God was reconciling us to himself and not counting our sins against us. Rather, he took our sins, he nailed them to the cross, and then he separated us from them as far as the east is from the west, so that now when God looks at us, he sees the merits of Christ on our account. What? Wow! That's that's what the gospel does. And it's not because God has somehow miscalculated our debt. But it was because our debt was paid in full by Christ. And this should cause us, it should cause us to be affectionately thankful and grateful. That's what we just say. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. I have a heart of gratitude, a heart of thankfulness, For you, for what you've done. So now we know what we know, and we feel it in our bones that God has given us the ultimate good and the perfect gift of being called a first fruit of His creatures. The sacrifice of Jesus began the redemption and the renewal of every part of the fallen creation, and He's starting with you. So that means that you're not just at the mercy of your former manner of life, you're born again. And in your moment of temptation, you might wonder where your good and perfect gift is. Well, if you're in Christ, that perfect gift is in you because Christ in us is the hope of glory. And if Christ is in you, and if Christ is in me, that means that you and I have way more than a slugger's chance to survive a moment of temptation. And so last week I told you, you are much stronger than you think you are if Christ is in you. So we know what we know, and we feel what we feel, and not only should we feel thankful and grateful, but we should also feel very strong today. You should feel very strong based off of what you know and what you feel. We should be thankful, grateful, and strong. So now that you and I know what we know and we feel what we feel, I want to get down to doing that which is what we really want to do, The Spirit of God is jealous for you to embrace this teaching today. And so now we've gotten on the diving board, we've approached the end, we've made a big bounce, and now let's propel ourselves off the diving board and talk about temptation and see what we're supposed to do when we face it. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us. Help us make it through this teaching that is certainly based off of your word, and in order for us to get into this mindset, we've had to take three or four weeks to just look at this text, and now we talk about very practical, rubber meets the road type of things. And so, I pray that you would bless us with uh, understand, helping us understand your game plan for us when we face temptation that we all face. So help us to be honest. Help us to be truth filled. Help us to be thankful and grateful and strong in our moments of temptation this week based off of what we hear today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what are we to do when we're tempted? Now you know a bunch of stuff. You feel a bunch of stuff. Now, what should we do? Because I'm still tempted in various ways at all times probably. What should I do when we're tempted, number one, all these begin with W for you, so you can kind of remember it, okay? First of all, watch for it. Watch for it. Don't be oblivious to it. I think the first thing that we need to do is to have our eyes open and our heads on a swivel. Once again, I want to remind you that this is kill or be killed talk. We need to watch for it and anticipate it coming. Temptations to sin will come as sure as the sun will rise. Have you ever been watching a football game when your team has had a fantastic play and you move the ball down the field and you're celebrating and you're cheering and you think that this could end up being a scoring drive, but then on the bottom of the screen you see a little yellow box that pops up with the word flag in it? All of a sudden, you're concerned, wondering if the infraction was on your team or on the opponent's team, because that means either the play will stand or the play will get called back. There's a lot riding on the meaning of that flag, and the reason that it was thrown out on the field in the first place is because there are referees that are employed by the league to enforce the rules. If you break a rule, a flag will fly, and the appropriate penalty will be enforced, okay? So where's my flag at? I had it here. Check this out. You know how much power you feel when you got one of these? It's like, where's Allen at? There you are. I'm like, okay, there's a, there's a foul, all right? Penalty, like stop the game. Something went wrong, right? In the NFL, this is crazy. In the NFL, there are seven different officials. The referee, the umpire, the down judge, the line judge, the field judge, the side judge back judge do we have enough judges right and they even have these things called replay officials they're not even on the field replay officials are located in the nfl stadium league office in new york to provide on-field officials with objective information regarding the rules of the field and play all of these people are employed by the league to either be on the field or on the sideline or in a replay booth in New York, and their whole purpose for being there is to watch the game. They keep their eyes open, and they look for things that are out of bounds or off, off the topic or uh, out of bounds or off the, against the rules of the game, like something happened that wasn't supposed to happen. Their involvement in the game doesn't stop the violations from occurring, but they just throw a flag way up into the air and out onto the field, and they actually do this because they're paid to do this. They're watching out for these occurrences to happen. If that's for a game that we're entertained by, then what do we need to do when our life is at stake? We need to watch for times of temptation and anticipate them coming so that when they do come, we can throw a flag way up into the air or out on the field of our lives and say, hey, this is an a against my first fruit status. This is something that doesn't belong here. This belongs to my old nature and has no business being here right now. I'm watching for it and I'm not naive to it. I might not be able to stop it from occurring. I'm aware of how my heart wants to violate what God has said. After all, it is prone to wander. But I'm watching for it, and I'm not surprised when the moment temptation comes knocking. We have been instructed to be watchful for this. We have been instructed by King Jesus Himself. Actually he talks about this on a number of occasions. First consider this. Think about how Jesus taught us to pray. One of the most basic things you can do as a believer is address God and talk to God. Jesus actually has limited time to prepare his disciples to carry on his message after he's gone and he knows that they're going to fall upon some hard times and difficult times and so he instructs them on how to pray and he gives them this phrase in Matthew 6:13 he says and lead us not in temptation but deliver us from evil. Now of course we know that from our text in James that God will never tempt us. So why would Jesus tell us to pray these words? It's kind of like a head scratcher. If you won't tempt us, then why why should I pray not to be led into temptation? Well, although God will never lead us into temptation, he will allow us to undergo undergo severe testing. And a prominent example is Job. And James is going to bring up Job later on in his epistle. But consider Job for a moment. Listen to this, Job chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. And the Lord said to Satan, have have you considered my servant Job? Whoa. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. God wasn't going to do this, but it's in Satan's hand now. Only against him don't stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Listen, this is a severe test that God allowed Job to go through. And people, I hope and I desperately pray to God that he never leads me into that type of situation. I cannot imagine the suffering and the loss that Job went through. And so in that sense, I pray, Lord, lead me not into temptation. Lead me not into temptation is a specific prayer against that sort of scenario. This is kind of like what Matthew says in Matthew chapter 4 when Matthew records this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, to be tempted by the devil. God is not doing the tempting, but he is doing the leading. So lead us not into temptation, I think is best understood as us asking God to help us resist the temptations that we inevitably face in our times of trial. And this also seems to mesh up with Jesus' alarming words to his disciples on the night of his betrayal in Mark chapter 14, verse 38. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. With these words, Jesus is indicating that the temptation that they might potentially enter into was something that they themselves were personally drawn into. Look, they're tired And the temptation to fall asleep was real, even though they all seemed resolute to defend Jesus in the garden. And they're told by King Jesus to watch for oncoming enemies, but their spirit was willing, but their flesh was weak, and they fell asleep three times. So God wasn't leading them into temptation. temptation. Their tired bodies were, and Jesus even graciously, even sternly tells them, hey, why don't you prepare for that specific temptation to come about? So what does that tell us? That tells me that there is no room for any amount of complacency here. If you just blow this teaching off today, then you're either foolish or you're extremely arrogant, and maybe a little bit and maybe a lot of both. We need to be watchful. You and I need to anticipate times of temptation coming and then be ready to fight when they come. So ask yourself the question, when are you tempted? In what scenario do you find yourself in when you sin often? Maybe it's with physical suffering. How about when you suffer physically? Maybe when you're sick. Or maybe you experience, you're the type of person that experiences chronic pain. Or even when you're just overtired. Have you ever started your day by knowing that the conditions are just right for you to lose it on your loved ones? Right? Watch out for that. This is the moment that the spirit of the living God in you can flex a bit. His power can be made perfect in your weakness. So let your moment of weakness be used of God to demonstrate the gospel's realness and the power of the gospel in your life. And a little bit of a side note, don't underestimate the importance of a healthy diet, exercise, and good sleep patterns. God made us physical and spiritual beings, and just like cognition and affection affect one another, we talked about that last week, so does our physical and immaterial aspects impact one another. Do you know how down I can get? This is me in vulnerability. Do you know how down I can get when I don't eat right, when I don't sleep right, and I never exercise? Do you know how cranky I can get? I can feel depressed and cranky. And cranky is the polite term. Do you know what the Bible says? It uses words like this. Anger. Wrath. Malice and covetousness, which is idolatry, is what Paul says. So this is pretty intense and damaging stuff, and stuff that's all avoidable, if I just made a concerted effort to watch what I eat and how I sleep and make a decision to commit to some sort of physical exercise. So watch for it. Be proactive and don't just put yourself into a situation that will be like a trigger for you. If your overtiredness leads you to sin, then it would be wise for you to be watchful for it and commit to having a more regular bedtime or an exercise schedule that works so that you feel comfortable in your own skin. And you're like, man, that sounds like a lot of work. Yep. Yes it actually does take a lot of work and effort to fight temptation. So it could be physical suffering or it could be spiritual neglect. Sometimes I think a lack of effort can bleed over into our spiritual lives as well. Spiritual laziness, idleness, sluggishness, a reluctance to put any effort towards physical or spiritual growth will allow temptation and sin to lead us to our demise. So think about this. Are you reading the Bible? Are you reading the Bible and letting it revive your soul, as it says in Psalm 19? Are you committed to church attendance, the place where the saints are gathered for mutual encouragement? Are you choosing to be authentic and real and vulnerable with a group of brothers and sisters in Christ so you don't have to walk the journey alone, whether it's accountability partners or small group or life group or just a Bible study that you've been a part of for years. If you neglect these basic disciplines and these practices, you're neglecting to be watchful for times of temptation. So whether it's physical or spiritual, ask yourself when and where and how are you tempted. Anticipate it, watch for it, and know where you're vulnerable. So let me just throw out some questions for you. How do you handle your alone time? What are you vulnerable to when you're overwhelmed? What about when you're underwhelmed or you're bored? How do you handle your late nights or your business trips out of town? How does your pulse start to race when you look at what people have posted on social media platforms? Or maybe you start to feel a little down as you stare at a screen and you be- compare yourself with the airbrush portrayals of the perfect body or the perfect relationship or the perfect living room decor. How do you handle the spandex that's all over the place in the local gym that you work out in? What goes on in your heart when you hear that inflation is rising and you wonder if the worldly wisdom of cutting back on your charitable giving is wise? Look, this isn't a shakedown. This is just me sounding an alarm and acting like a referee with a flag in my hand, in my pocket, looking out for those opportune times that are in all of our lives. So if you don't watch out for them, they'll destroy us. I'm going to throw a flag out there. Look for those things. So hear me when I say what Jesus said to his disciples. Watch out. Watch out. And the second thing I'd say is, welcome God into it watch out for it and then welcome God into it if you stand any chance to overcome your time of temptation you're going to need some help listen to me none of you none of I don't care who you are none of you are capable of fighting this without help and the only one who can really prove to be of any help is the one who was tempted and tried in every way and yet without sin That's the person who can help us most because he actually walked the proverbial mile in our shoes and he actually did it without giving in like we all do so often. So let's welcome Jesus into our struggle. Instead of pretending that the struggle doesn't exist, welcome him into it. The moment of temptation rises in our hearts when that moment of temptation rises in our hearts to sin against God, we need to remember and act on the word that God gave David so long ago in Psalm 50.15. Psalm 50.15 says this, And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. I love this verse. Garrett, I came to wanted teaching, and you were teaching. I was like, yes, they're learning it. Yes call upon me in the day of trouble. It assumes that you're going to be in trouble, and I'll deliver you, and you shall glorify me. We have to watch for the moment, and then be willing to say, hey, this is it. This is the moment. I've had to say that to my family sometimes. Hey, this is the moment that we're going to be really tempted to give in to whatever. Now now is when, when the gospel has to get some traction. This is it. This is the moment. I was watching for you to come around these parts and now I see that you're here and I'm immediately going to turn my attention to God and say, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. It's it's the moment, God. I need deliverance. I need your sustaining power to get me past this moment because right now I feel stuck in it. So you actually have to have enough faith to call upon Him and enough faith to know that He can actually deliver us. And enough faith to know that we can glorify Him by not caving into those desires that are tempting us. God can redeem even our inner enticements towards sin against Him for good if we call upon Him and be delivered by Him and then we glorify Him. You are a first fruit. Start acting like it. Apart from Him, you can do nothing. So if you're a branch... And a first fruit, the last thing that you want to do is separate yourself in the moment of your temptation from the life-giving, power-enabling, death-blow-delivering nourishment that freely flows to you from the vine. So call upon Him in your day of trouble. And you say, well, I've tried that before. Great. Nothing happened. I still had my sinful cravings. They weren't zapped away. What good did that do? I called upon him, but I still gave in. Well, I said to you, welcome God into it. And if all you ever do is cry out to God from the confines and the safety of your prayer closet, then maybe his ear hasn't heard your voice. And you're like, okay, wait a minute, you lost me. What are you talking about? This is what I'm talking about. What does it look like to welcome God into the struggle? The tangible expression of Jesus in the world today is something that the biblical authors call the body of Christ. This is very important. If you are born again and indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, then we are collectively His hands and feet. Some are toenails. Some are nose hairs. we got a lot of those here, right? But we all serve a purpose. And some of us serve functionally, as his ears for other people. The tangible expression of the body of Christ has ears, and since it is true, we need to welcome God into our struggle, and I need to welcome the people of God who are indwelt by the very Spirit of God, who are collectively functioning as the body of Christ, into my struggle as well. More than likely, my deliverance that the Lord will provide for me in my time of need will be found when instead of hiding my darkness from people, I shine a spotlight light on it and allow other people to shine their spotlight on it as well that's why the author of hebrews says but exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin this is no joke you need other people to remind you of what you don't want to do that's how deceived we can be in a moment of temptation Here's another moment of vulnerability for me. Listen, I've shared about this before, but I have a group messaging app on my phone. And I have a group of people called my guys, nine guys. It consists of longtime friends, former pastoral colleagues, former elders I served under, current elders I serve alongside, and new friends that I've acquired here. And in a moment's notice, They are summoned and called to arms and come to my side like minutemen, trained and ready to engage me and engage with me in the battle. I can't do this without them. Why? Not because I need them, but because I need Christ in them. If I'm going to be victorious, I need this type of assistance. That's how weak I am. Now, some of you might say, well, that's good. That's only good if you're willing to expose your temptation, Sean. And I say, yep. I could hide it. But guess what? I've come to desire something more than indulging in what is offered to me by the fleeting pleasures of sin. You know what I want? I want mercy. And in order for me to obtain mercy, the scriptures tell me that I need to confess and forsake my sin. So because I want mercy more than my sin, I confess and I expose the depths of my depravity. And it's not easy, and it's always a fight. Listen. Listen to this. Every single time I think about opening up that app and letting my thumbs do the talking about the depths of my depravity in that moment, and then I consider hitting send on that text message, guess what? I am actually met with the exact opposite thought. You know what? Do you really need to send it? Don't bother them. it will be a burden to them. They might even turn on you and think that you're disgusting for even being tempted. Every time, every time, every time I'm bombarded with the thought of how embarrassing and how humiliating it is, and the devil wants me to mull on that, and he wants me to come to the wrong conclusion that confession is too embarrassing or too humiliating, so don't go through with that. You can just handle this temptation on your own. That's, that's the battle. Hear me when I say this. Confession and humility are not a sign of weakness. They are not a bad thing. So think about another scenario that might happen in the cars or in the dining room tables or within the bedroom walls of the people gathered at this building. Let's say that you and your spouse are in a disagreement over something and you're both bothered. But one of you literally stops in mid-sentence even though you know what you could say next would be a real zinger. A real zinger and a slam and bring with it a whole lot of temporary satisfaction as you let the bullet spray from your mouth like a fully automatic rifle with a fully loaded clip but instead of pulling the trigger and killing them with your words you say something like this you know what right now I'm very angry and I don't want to blow up and murder you with my fists or with my words or even in my heart can you pray for me can you talk me off the ledge now some of you are like ha, yeah right Sean you're crazy that's not how it works in my house. I say, often that's not how it works in my house either. You mean you expect me to have self-control when I'm infuriated, Sean? No, God does. Self-control is proof of the Spirit's presence in your life. So if you don't display any evidence of self-control, even when you have the perfect comeback line, then you have a way bigger problem than what comes out of your mouth. You are in danger of the fires of hell, is what James is going to say when we get to chapter 3. But it's so hard, and I feel so weak. Yep. So let His strength prove to be perfect in your weakness. But you say, if I do that, that will take all of my leverage and all my source of power. It will leave me disarmed and I'll feel humiliated if I admit that I'm angry and I need help and I'm tempted to lose it on the ones I love. Will it? Good! Don't be deceived into thinking that humility is a bad thing. Can you think of anyone who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, do you know that he was the only one who never gave into temptation? Maybe, and mostly, because he was humble. So take a page from Jesus, swallow your pride, and openly admit that your heart is like a graveyard sometimes. Confess that, then forsake that, and obtain the mercy that you desperately need for your soul. So sorry for one more sports analogy. For those of you that have ears to hear, you'll hear this. I just can't help but say this. In your arrogance, don't underestimate the punching power of Ivan Drago and end up dead like Apollo Creed. You're like, what are you talking about? For those of you that have ears, you just heard. Cryptic enough, there's your comic relief. The truth is, is that God is present in his people. We are a temple, so we need others. We need to welcome God into the struggle by exposing our temptation to other brothers and sisters in Christ. And once we watch for it and we welcome God into it, we need to withstand it initially and wrestle it completely. Last couple W's there. Withstand it initially, wrestle it completely. Thomas Brooks, an old Puritan, says, if you play with Satan's bait, you will quickly be taken by the hook. If there is not immediate resistance at the start of your temptation, the battle you fight will become more uphill as you descend down the slippery slope of depravity. So don't give up your high ground status by lingering on a temptation. Watch for it. Anticipate it. Anticipate it coming, then withstand it initially. Don't be blown and tossed by the wind. Pick up your weapon and be ready to fight. Listen. Bible verses aren't magic, but Bible verses are the very words of God spoken to you in your time of need that can remind you that He indeed is present with you, and that the way of escape is already in your midst. You just need to open up your ears and listen to Him when He says, this is the way, walk in it. Open up your ears and your eyes to look for the way of escape and then slam what you know with what you feel into gear and fight. Withstanding it, initially. Grab hold of the sword of the Spirit and start thrusting with it. David Pallison, biblical counselor, says this. The only way. Whenever somebody starts a sentence like that, you're like, whoa, this is massive. The only way we ever sin is by suppressing God, by forgetting Him and tuning out His voice. That's the only way you ever sin is by by getting rid of God. So listen to the voice of God as He shouts to you in your temptation. Consider this. God shouts to you and says this, fear not. I am with you. Don't be dismayed I'm your God. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Listen to God. Shout to you when he says through Isaiah, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. Listen to him as he shouts through Joshua. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Why? Because just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you i will not leave you or forsake you listen to haggai then haggai the messenger of the lord spoke to the people what was the lord's message this is it i am with you declares the lord god's voice thunders from the heavens and says look i am a refuge and a strength i'm very present help in trouble and then listen to the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples before he departed from them. And he says this, "And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." Listen, people, you and I were never alone. Ever. That means you never ever sin in isolation. That means that every time you do sin, you choose to do so in the full sight of God who is right by your side. And if He's right by your side in that moment, that means that there's always a way of escape available. You just didn't take it. But you have to have your eyes set on Him. Don't shut your eyes to Him. Don't close your ears the voice of Christ. Don't take your eyes off Christ. If you do, then you're going to start sinking into your depravity like when Peter sunk into the stormy sea. Never forget this. God is always with you. Don't forget that in your moment of temptation. He's there. And then you say, God, I want you. I need you withstand the onslaught with a firm resistance initially by knowing that you are never alone in your struggle and then wrestle like Jacob who refused to let go of God who was with him in the darkness of the night And he didn't let go until he got a blessing. He said, God, I need you. I need you. I want you. Bless me. I'm not going to let go of you until you bless me. Not with riches, but with the richness of your indwelling strength within me that was capable of rising the dead body of Jesus from the grave. Do you see how God can even take our moments of temptation and use them to highlight his glory? Call upon me in the day of trouble. I'll deliver you. You'll glorify me. What a wonderful God we serve. The devil made me do it is not a valid excuse for anyone indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So look for that way of escape that has been promised and then walk through it in the strength that God provides. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. <coughs> And the rest of us to stand and we're going to close by asking God to give us the mind of Christ who is the only one who is able to escape temptation. And we want to invite him into the struggle so let's pray and then we'll sing four stanzas of this song and have a short benediction. God, I pray for us as we kind of solidify some of this teaching that is going to be very practical throughout our weeks if we had ears to hear God I pray that we would watch for the times of temptation that we wouldn't be unaware of them coming that we would welcome you into the struggle by welcoming the people who are indwelt by the spirit of God in the struggle as well and that we would withstand it initially and then just wrestle with you and tell you give us the blessing of the way of escape that's always provided may the mind of Christ our Savior live in us from day to day God, that by his love and his power that's indwelling within us would control all that we do and say. God, I pray that you hear this prayer of our heart as we close. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing.